Luke chapter number 2 this morning, and I want to read the first 20 verses of this chapter. That's pretty comprehensive of the Christmas story. But I want to spend a few moments this morning, and, and I want to ask a question, and I want to answer it from the Word of God, and I want us to focus on a particular group of people within the Christmas narrative. Luke chapter number 2, verse number 1 says, It came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a host, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and thank you. What a privilege it is to be in your house, Lord. We thank you that we live in a country with roads good enough to be able to travel in times like this. Lord, we thank you that you've blessed us with vehicles that could make it here this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you protected us from all the crazy people out there, gave us safe traveling mercies that we could be here. Lord, we thank you that you gave us the want to to be in your house today. So many things. Uh, we couldn't be here if it weren't for you. So, Lord, we want to thank you. We want to give you glory for the privilege it is to be in your house. And I pray every single person, there ain't nobody here by accident this morning, nobody here because it was easy, they've come to worship. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would bless them, that you would especially through your word speak to, your, uh, to their hearts, and that, Father, as they leave this place, they leave refreshed, encouraged in the Word of God and challenged to walk closer to you. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you read the Christmas narrative, you find some big names in this passage. For instance, the very first name in verse number 1 is the name Caesar Augustus. He is literally the ruler of the known world. He is the most powerful man in the world. One of his subordinates by the name of Serenius was governor over Syria. And uh, Syria was a powerful, powerful nation and kingdom. And the reason that Syria is mentioned is Syria would have exercised some dominion over Israel. If you read a little bit further in the Christmas narrative, you'll find the name Herod. Herod, of course, uh, was the king over Jerusalem and over Israel at this time. Big names are found in this passage. 
And yet what I find astonishing is that in all of the people that the angels could have appeared to, all of the people in the world, there were priests, there were potentates, there were powerful men, there were prophets, of all the people that the angels could have uh, made themselves known to and appeared to and made this grand annunciation concerning the birth of God in this world, the Bible says, verse number 8, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. I want to ask a question this morning to you. Why the shepherds? Of all of the people in the world that God could have made this clear to, you think of all the groups of people that we, in our human wisdom, in our, in our temporal wisdom, would have said, I, listen, if you were organizing Christmas, if I, I tell you this, if I was organizing Christmas, it'd look a lot different. Somebody say amen to that. I've said before, and I stand by this, and I trust that if you're here this morning, it's because you love the Lord and love me enough that you won't get mad at me for saying this. But I'm not the biggest fan of the Christmas season. Amen. That's all right. I'll take this crowd. I'll take amens when I can get them. Somebody say amen to that. I I, I enjoy what it's about. I do. Uh, but I don't like all the noise around it. We taught about that a little bit in Sunday school, just all the noise around the Christmas season. If I had my way, and if I was designing Christmas, Christmas would look a lot like Thanksgiving. You've heard me say this before. Christmas would look like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a three-day affair. you got the day before, the day of, the day after. That's pretty much... It's a long weekend, nothing more. Uh, there's basically no Thanksgiving songs. Though Brother Kerry's dug a few of them out of that hymnal to sing at Thanksgiving time. But there's not really any Thanksgiving music. You don't have to start in April listening to Thanksgiving music. Amen? We don't have to decorate for Thanksgiving. Some of y'all may decorate for Thanksgiving, but you don't have to decorate for Thanksgiving. I ain't nobody going to drive by your house and say, well, can you believe they didn't put out Thanksgiving decorations this year? You know? I, listen, we, there ain't no gift giving on Thanksgiving. Food. Food is what Thanksgiving is all about. And family and fellowship. By in my way, that's what Christmas would be. It'd be the day before, day of, day after. We'd cook a turkey or we'd cook something real good. We'd eat until we had to be ashamed of ourselves and then take naps. And that'd be Christmas. Amen. And we'd praise God for every bit of it. If I was writing Christmas, it'd look a lot different. Probably if you were writing the Christmas narrative or if I was writing it, it would look a lot different. We would have probably had these angels appearing maybe to a group of priests that were ministering in the temple waiting upon the service of the Lord. We maybe would have had the angels appear to one of the great high Roman officiates, maybe Caesar Augustus himself, to get the word out and to make known to the world that Christ had been born. Maybe would have picked some group of worshipers somewhere that exhibited some true and sincere and genuine devotion to the Lord. We would have had them appear. But you and I probably would have never picked this group of shepherds. And yet God in His infinite wisdom, in His absolute, spotless, perfect, unconquerable wisdom, He chooses the shepherds. Why did He choose these shepherds? I want to give you three reasons this morning. And here's what I want you to get from it. All right. I want you to get that God can speak to you in this Christmas season, in this service, this morning, if you'll be willing to exercise the same behavior and the same attitude that the shepherds did. Listen, attitude has so much to do with what God can do with our lives. There ain't much God can do with a bad attitude except adjust it. If we come into the house of God with a good spirit, Good attitude. And I haven't since, like I said, listen, uh, th- this crowd this morning ain't nobody here because they didn't have an excuse to stay home. Amen? 
a lot of folks that maybe could have been here, and then I hope a lot of folks that genuinely exercised common sense, more common sense than you and I got, and discernment, and and and, and were safe and played it safe, and I bear no ill will. Or but I, I'm saying that to say I understand that this crowd here, I, I ain't fussing at this crowd. Amen. I'm proud that you're here today. But even on a day like this, we'd come in with a bad spirit. What attitude did you come into the house of God with? I believe that these shepherds exhibit three things that made God appear to them. God can appear to anybody He chooses to. That's evidenced by the fact that He appeared to the shepherds. And I believe God can make Himself known to you this morning in your heart, in your life, if you'll do these same three things. Uh, Let me give them to you. In fact, I'll give them to you before I even preach them. The first thing we're going to talk about is that they were observant beholders. God can't talk to anybody that won't listen. And he, he appeared to the shepherds. He knew they'd listen. And then two, they were obedient hearers. God ain't going to speak to anybody. They ain't going to do something with what he tells them. Uh, I've learned this. There's been times in parenting, and I try, you know, consistency is the hardest thing in parenting. It ain't hard to be a good parent like ten minutes out of a day, right? But it's being consistent. And one of the temptations when you're parenting is there's times that you look at your kid and they're doing something crazy, they're breaking something, setting something on fire, and you think, I could tell them not to do that, but would it do any good? (laughs) Sometimes it just wears you down. Imagine how God feels. We have to be obedient hearers. And then finally, we see they were obsessed reporters. They did something with what God told them. So first, they were observant beholders. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says this, that we're in the same field, or in the same country, shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. You know, I think one of the reasons God spoke to them is they were responsible individuals. They were where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. They had a job, they had a responsibility, they had a task that had been given unto them, that had been entrusted unto them. It was not a glorious thing. If you study a little bit about the life of a shepherd in the Middle East at this time, it was not a pleasant job. It was fraught with all sorts of dangers. We think of sheep. Listen, the sheep, real sheep in real life. Anybody ever been around sheep in real life? They ain't like those fluffy things that you see in the precious moments figurines. They're nasty creatures covered with mites, covered with fleas, covered with all sorts of things. They're dumb, they're helpless. Sounds like us, don't it? They're dumb, they're helpless, they're constantly going astray. Uh, The life of a shepherd was not a glamorous or pleasant life. It would have been real easy for them to have abdicated their responsibility. But imagine, you know, and we can use our sanctified imagination for a moment. We don't know what shepherds was where they were supposed to be and what shepherds wasn't. But could you imagine being one of the shepherds that was supposed to be there that night and called in sick? I don't know how they did it back then. I don't know if they sent out a carrier pigeon or what. But you imagine there's a possibility that if a person was unable to do the job or had something else they had to do, they might not show up. Could you imagine being one of them? that was supposed to be in that field, but said, nah, that's all right, I'm just going to stay at the house. You'd never live it down. You'd spend the rest of your life thinking, if I had only been where I was supposed to have been. The first step in our relationship with God is simply doing what we know we ought to be doing. There's a lot of us waiting on God to hit us over the head with a ton of bricks. We're waiting on God to open the heavens and appear to us. We want God to do for us what He did for those shepherds, but we won't even take the necessary steps to do the things that we know we ought to be doing. Now again, I'm not fussing at you this morning. You're in the house of God. And by the way, I'm not fussing at those that aren't either. I understand. 
But I am simply saying the fact that you're here evidences to me that you understand the importance of responsibility of being where you ought to be. But I'm saying everything in your life is affected by this principle. Spiritually speaking, are you where you ought to be? Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life that you've not repented of and asked God's forgiveness? Are you reading your Bible the way that you ought to be reading your Bible? You praying the way that you ought to be praying? Are you giving the way that you ought to be giving? Are you witnessing the way that you ought to be witnessing? I would just simply say this. We have no right to ask God to open the heavens and sing a glorious song to us when we're not even where we're supposed to be. They were responsible individuals. And there's been times in my life God has dealt with me when I wasn't where I needed to be. But I find God is most apt to deal with me when I am where I'm supposed to be. They were responsible. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Notice these next five words. The Bible says, And they were sore afraid. They were reverential when it came to the Word of God. They were not flippant when it came to the message that was delivered unto them. I can imagine it. I'm sure you can too. That must have been some kind of scene. They had probably spent countless nights under a Judean sky watching over these sheep, listening to them bleat, listening to them rustle about. And probably most nights had been uneventful. But this night, God opened the heavens and spoke to them. And when He did, they took with sober seriousness with sober reverence, the message that was delivered unto them. Listen, why would God speak to us if we won't take seriously what He says? I'm afraid some of us have built up a callous on this account. God's spoken to us about things so many times that we've just got used to ignoring Him. And then we wonder why God can't work in our life. The fact is, there has to be a rawness, a vulnerability spiritually speaking, for the Spirit of God to be able to guide us and direct us the way that we ought to be. We have to be willing to look and say, God has said it, therefore it must be true. Even if I don't see the need, even if I don't think it's important, we approach it in faith, trusting that God has a purpose for what He's telling us. This is the reason I say it all the time, and it might just roll off your back, it might just become a a phrase, you know, preachers have phrases they say, and and that might be all it's become to you is just a phrase. But time and again, I've told you, if it was important enough for God to speak to you, then it's important enough for you to deal with Him. It's a big thing when God speaks to our heart. It's a big thing. It's bigger, in fact, than when God rolled back the curtains of heaven and allowed those angels to sing forth their song. That that was just angels, you understand. But when the Spirit of God deals with you, that's God speaking to you. We ought to treat it with reverence. We ought to treat it with reverence, with a seriousness. We ought not play games with God. Uh, if we play games with God, sooner or later, He's going he's gonna to just decide to let us be. He won't forsake us. He won't abandon us. He certainly won't cast us into hell. But He will say, if they're not going to take seriously what I'm telling them, then why should I spend the energy and effort to tell them? They were reverential. And then I notice in verse number 12 something interesting. The Bible says, This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Not only were they responsible, they were where they were supposed to be and reverential. Whenever they heard God speak to them, where the angels began to speak to them, they were sore afraid. They took seriously what God was saying, but they were regardful. See, God gave them a sign. The same infinite omniscient God that knows all things, that knows what you're going to do before you ever do it. 
that same God gave them a sign. Why did he do this? Because he knew they would use it. He knew they would heed it. He knew they would obey it. See, the fact is, they made particular application of this truth in their life. I'm afraid sometimes the Word of God becomes something hypothetical or theoretical, something academic to us. And it's something we've got to guard against. Listen, and me especially as a pastor, I spend a lot of time plowing in the Word of God, preparing sermons, preparing lessons, preparing curriculum, just toiling in the Word of God. And if we're not careful, it'll become a cold academic exercise. And we'll never make application of the truth of of the Word of God in our life. I believe He spoke to these shepherds and gave them a sign. He knew they'd follow the sign. They would make application of it in their life. They would go. And I don't want to get ahead of my sermon. I'm going to say a word here in a moment about their going. But suffice it to say that they, God gave them a sign. He knew they were listening. He knew they were paying attention. You want wisdom in your life? I trust you do. I want wisdom in my life. Man, let me tell you something. If i got to live this thing and do this thing in my own wisdom, I'm going to make a mess before I can make it out of the parking lot. If you want to know what my wisdom looks like, it would have me piled up at the bottom of the hill, my car flipped over on fire, and, and, and me lost. That's how I would get before I ever left the parking lot if I was doing this thing in my wisdom. I need the wisdom of God. I need God's guidance. I need His direction. But God's only going to give wisdom and direction to those that will heed it. We need to be regardful. God won't waste His breath. He'll speak to those that are observant beholders. And then notice that they were obe- obedient hearers. The Bible says, verse number 13, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing, notice this phrase, which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They were obedient hearers in that first they believed the truth. They believed it. They didn't say, let's go see if it has come to pass. They said, let's go see what has come to pass. As far as they were concerned, it wasn't a wasted trip into Bethlehem. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if God had spoken it, it was so. I wonder how many of us have a real concrete confidence that the Word of God is true. Think about it for a moment. Think about it. Do you really believe that what God says is true? I'll tell you how you can tell. Look at your life. Now listen carefully. I'm not perfect in any way. There's plenty of times that I live and operate and behave and act in a way contrary to what I know to be true concerning the Word of God. I'm not talking about sinlessness. But I'm saying this. If you really believe the Bible is true and you're not crazy then it should dictate and inform and move and mold how you live your life. It should determine it. The Bible says wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. If you believe that, you'll stay away from it. If you believe that, if you don't want to be a fool, and if you don't want your life to be a mess, you'll stay away from it. Because God said it. God said it. Hey, uh, the the Bible says that we're to flee fornication. Uh, If we believe that, we'll do it. Now, I'm not saying we're going to live perfectly, but I am saying it will dictate and inform God our lives. Hey, listen, if we're to provoke one another unto good works, and so much the more as we see the day approaching, 
And if ever there was a time I can preach about faithful attendance to the house of God without somebody thinking I'm picking on them, it's today. It'll inform that. We believe that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It'll make us pray. Hey, we believe the gospel is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That'll cause us to give the gospel. I'm saying if we believe it, it's going to change us. They believed, and then by extension, they obeyed. They obeyed. They said, let's go to Bethlehem. Why? Because God said there's something to see in Bethlehem. God is going to speak to those that will take His Word and apply it and obey it immediately. Listen, slow obedience is sometimes more destructive than no obedience at all. Uh, Jonah is a good example of that. They not only obeyed the truth, look at verse 16, the Bible says, "...and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger." They pursued the truth. They'd been given this sign from God that they were going to find that baby in a manger. That meant they were going to find that baby wherever animals were. Bethlehem was not a big town. I'm sure it did not take much asking before they learned that there had been a family that had come by and evidently at least checked at the inn to try to find out if there was room and there was not room. And somehow, in some way, we know that the wise men followed the star. We really don't know what the shepherds followed. But we know that the sign that God gave them was enough to lead them in the right direction. But what it took was them pursuing it. They went with haste. They wanted to see what God had said. They wanted to apply it. They wanted to experience the truth that God had related to them. God speaks to those that love Him enough and love the truth enough and respect the truth enough to not merely hear it, observe it, even obey it, and then turn around and walk away from it. You ought to have a love affair with the Word of God. You ought to be passionate about the truth of Scripture. And if something's wrong in your life, you ought to want to know if it's wrong. If there's a right way to go, you ought to want to know what the right way is to go. Listen, there's a lot of folks that are afraid of the truth because they don't like the fact that it might disrupt their way of living or their preferences or their habits or whatever it might be, their hobbies. And so they're scared of it. They don't want to hear the truth, the Word of God. And i got news for you. If you don't want to hear it, you won't hear it. You can sit under every sermon I preach and walk away unchanged. You sit under every sermon that there is to be preached and walk away unchanged if you don't have a desire to know the truth. We were, I was talking to Austin just a moment ago. He's got a Subaru. So I knew he'd be here. Amen. <laughs> Those little Subarus love the snow. I knew he was just itching to get out and go this morning because I used to own a Subaru and that's how it is when you own one. You know, you can go anywhere. They ain't built for sunny weather. They're built for snowy weather and bad weather. And, uh, <laughs> I asked him, you know, uh, if he had any trouble. He said, nah, you know, it did great and everything. We're talking about the weather and all this. And, and I was explaining to him, uh, and I'll share this with you. I don't care to share it with you. If I had known it was going to be like this this morning, last night, I probably would have called services off. I'm glad I didn't because uh, I'm here with you today. And I hope you'll be safe as you travel home. I hope you'll not be foolish. I hope you'll be very cautious. But I had a bunch of people text me. My phone's blowing up this morning. And uh, preacher, we're going to have church, we're going to have church, we're going to have church. And I said, yeah, we are. And some people answered said, well, it looks rough out here. And I, and I told all of them, I said, listen, you use discernment and, and common sense and safety. Uh, but I made the comment to Austin when I was walking away from him. I said, listen, ain't none of my sermons worth dying for. Amen. Ain't none of them worth dying for. The best sermon I've ever preached ain't worth dying for. Your church family, senior church, it ain't worth dying for, all right? So... 
you know, use safety and, and use caution in everything that you do. But the reality is this, that I want to say it just the right way. We ought to be so fixated on the Word of God that we would do anything to find out the truth, whatever it means in our lives. There are certainly people that got up this morning and and looked out and prayed and hopefully used the better part of wisdom and maybe aren't here. I trust you're here because things were in such a condition that you could be here. But let's be honest, there were people that knew Friday night they weren't going to be here. Right? The fact of the matter is this, if you don't want the truth, you ain't going to hear the truth. You can sit under every sermon I preach, and ain't none of them worth dying for. But even if one of them was, it wouldn't help you if you're not willing to pursue the truth. Do you want to know what's right in your life? Do you want to know what's wrong in your life? If you don't want to know, you won't know. Somebody's upset. (laughs) Well, I see that they were observant beholders. I see that they were obedient hearers. But then I note that they were obsessed reporters. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, when they had seen it, they had seen something. If you're saved by the grace of God, you've seen something. Maybe not by the physical eye, but by the eye of faith, you've seen something. And you've got something to tell. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And verse 20 says, The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You know why God spoke to them? Because He knew that not only would they take that truth and do something in their life, He knew that they'd take that truth and do something in somebody else's life. You know what I find? Number one, they were prolific in their testimony. Verse number 17 says they made known abroad. You know what that means? Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere they could go, everywhere they could find somebody that would bend their ear, they told them what had happened to them that night. It became their theme. It became their anthem. It became the heartbeat of their conversation. Everywhere they went, they wanted them to know that the Christ child had been born. The fact is... You and I have an even grander message than what the shepherds had that night. And it ought to be that it so arrests our conversation that we become prolific in the testimony we give about Jesus Christ. God does big things in the lives of people that He knows will testify and share of those big things. I'm not trying to bribe God to do things in my life by giving Him praise. He's owed my praise. You can only bribe somebody with something they ain't owed in the first place. He's owed my praise. He deserves my praise. But one of the reasons He works in your life and mine is to elicit praise from us. This whole thing, and this is a bigger statement than I think I can make you understand. It's a bigger statement than I think I really understand. But this whole thing is about the praise and the glory of God. You say, what whole thing? Every bit of it. Every flower that blooms, every blade of grass that grows, every raindrop that falls, every heart that beats, every lung that breathes, every star in the heavens, every sand, speck of sand that's by the seashore, it's all about the glory and praise of God. And so God's working in our life by the same token revolves around this same truth of praise unto Him. They were prolific. They told everybody they could. They found everyone that they could. 
and told them what God had done in their life. You want God to start speaking to you? Start telling others what God's doing in your life. Verse 18, they were passionate. Bible says, all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. I find it interesting. It doesn't say that all they that heard it believed them. It says all they that heard it wondered at them. I've shared this before, but I'll share it with you again. I remember hearing a preacher tell a story one time. He was taking a bus trip, about a 12-hour bus trip. And uh, he was a young man. He's about 18, 19 years old. And he was sitting beside a lost man on that bus trip. And he spent the entirety of that bus trip trying to witness to that man and win him to Christ. And at the end of 12 hours, the man looked at this young preacher and he said this. I've never forgotten this. He looked at this young preacher and said, I don't believe what you told me, but I believe that you believe what you told me. That man did not believe the message, but he wondered at the passion of the young man that so obviously so obviously had been transformed and changed by this truth. The shepherds could not make men believe, nor can you make men believe, but you can make men believe that you believe. You can be passionate in the testimony you give. We ought to be excited about the Lord. I think one of the greatest shames for the church, and I don't mean just this church, although it's probably true of our church like it is of every other church, One of the greatest shames, I believe, when we get to heaven is going to be the fact that we ever had to be told to praise God. I think when we step inside of glory and when we see Him enthroned and when we see the splendors of heaven and when we soak in and and apprehend for the first time just how awful our sin was, just how glorious His righteousness is, what that great exchange of our redemption truly meant, I think we're going to feel a deep sense of shame that anybody ever had to tell us to praise God. It ought to be a passionate thing. You ought to be more passionate about the Lord and about telling what God's done in your life than about any other story that you ever tell. Look at verse 20. I notice this. The Bible says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I don't know how long it was gone. they were gone. I have no idea. I think it can be assumed from the continuity of the narrative that it, that it was no more than eight days. Because verse 21 says when eight days were accomplished. So obviously this is within the first week of the Lord's, of the Lord's birth. It may have been a few minutes. It may have been a few hours. It might have been a few days. But I know that those shepherds went off shouting and glorifying God and telling everybody they could. And about the time they made the entire circle through town, when they got back by that manger, they still hadn't got over it. They were perpetual in their testimony. I would say, and I don't know, but I do know the Lord, and I do know what it means to be saved, so I think there's some grounds upon which I can say this. I don't know, but what if you had gone some 60, 70 years later, 40, 50 years later, however long it may have been, to Bethlehem, you would have found an old shepherd still rejoicing, still praising God, that still hadn't got over what he saw that night. Listen, God help us when we get over it. You know, the fact is, you can't get over it. If you've got over it, then you need to get over getting over it. I don't know if you get that. You say, preacher, I'm about over you. (laughs) 
What I mean to say is this, it never gets any less good. So if we've got over it, it's not that it's not as good as it used to be, it's that we've let something else get in the way. And what we need is not to get back under it, but we need to get over what got us over it in the first place. Vance Havner said this about revival, that revival happens when God's people fall in love with Him all over again. And what we need sometimes, especially during this season, this Christmas season, is to push all the noise away, get our mind fixed on the Christ child and on the cross that He bore and on the empty tomb that He left. And we need to remind ourselves just what He's done for us. I believe if we do that, I believe if we do what they did, be where we need to be when we need to be there, have the right attitude towards the Word of God, reverential, listening to it, not questioning it, not arguing with it, but listening to it, if we'd be regardful, if we'd apply it in our lives, believe what God's told us, obey the truth that's been given to us, if we'd be passionate in sharing with others what God has done in our life, we ought to never get over it. I believe if we get our heart fixed in the right situation, then the same question, why the shepherds, could be asked of us, why us? Why would He speak to me? Well, if I'll do the same things the shepherds did, I believe God will open heaven and speak to my heart, to your heart this morning. Let's bow together as a musician comes to the piano. Here's what I think we ought to all be doing this morning, whether you're in your pew or whether you're at the altar. I think every one of us ought to be asking this question. Is my heart in the right place to hear from heaven? This Christmas season. Is my heart open to the truth of God, even if it's not something I want to hear? Even if it's going to disrupt all my plans? Even if it touches on that sacred cow that I have in my life? Do I love God? Do I believe His Word enough that I'm willing to hear anything He has to say? And if you are, and if God's worked in your life, then ask yourself this question. Am I as excited about the Lord today as I was the day that He first spoke?